Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we're continuing our series today, The Missionary God, with a message from John called From Jerusalem to the World. So let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 15 as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Have you ever wondered how it came to be that men and women from all the nations of the earth have welcomed Jesus as their Savior? Did you know that almost didn't happen? Now, of course, God had determined in advance that it would happen, but I'm, I'm talking about a human perspective, and from that perspective, it almost didn't happen. Indeed, there was a great deal of drama that would have prevented the gospel of Jesus from, from ever reaching the world. See, very early on, after the death and resurrection of Jesus and after his command to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, and after the Holy Spirit had been poured out on God's people, empowering them for the task, I mean, after all of that, the global mission of the church almost didn't happen. What am I talking about? The book of Acts describes the beginning of a great mission. On the day of Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit came on the church, Peter preached a sermon in which 3,000 souls believed and were baptized and formed the nucleus of the first church. The church then was being taught and growing in fellowship. And eventually, Philip the Evangelist preached the gospel in neighboring Samaria, and after a bit of a hiccup, a church was founded in Samaria. Non-Jews were believing in Jesus. In spite of stiff opposition and aggressive persecution, the church was starting to reach the world. And then after some time, the Bible doesn't tell us how it came to be, but a church was formed in a place called Antioch. So where's that? Well, the city is about 500 kilometers north of Jerusalem in what today is a part of modern-day Turkey. It was there in Antioch that the followers of Jesus were first called Christians. And from all indications, the church in Antioch grew rapidly, probably becoming at least equal in size to the church in Jerusalem. There are a great many Gentile followers of Jesus in that church, and this church was praying about how to spread the gospel even further. And so they called out Paul and Barnabas to go on a missionary trip that would establish churches all through Turkey. And so these two traveled through Cyprus and a great many cities in modern-day Turkey, as we would call it today, Lycia, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, places we've never heard of, but there they went, preaching the good news of Jesus, encountering a great deal of opposition, and still planting churches and establishing elders in every church. And they finally got back to Antioch and declared that God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. In short, this was but the beginning. Yes, we have very strong opposition, but, but the opportunities are breathtaking. The global mission of the church was underfoot, but that success led to a crisis. Now, not, not a crisis among those who opposed the Christian faith. Rather, it led to a crisis inside the church. Now, if you don't know the crisis, you might be excused for thinking, well, how could the fulfillment of Jesus' command to preach the gospel to all nations, how could the early success of that enterprise lead to an internal crisis? I mean, did some not want to reach the nations? Were some racists who didn't want to include non-Jews? Well, well, no. See, they all agreed that this was Jesus' plan, that this was the fulfillment of what God had announced in the First Testament. The day will come when the earth will be full of God's glory, and the day will come when the Gentiles will bind themselves to the God of Israel through the man that God has chosen, through Jesus. 
And so if the Jews, who were a part of the initial followers of Jesus, were completely on board with that program, well, then how could the early success of Paul and Barnabas have precipitated a crisis? But, but it did. See, Acts 15 verse 1 says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. See, let's understand what's being said. If you had been listening to this series, you have heard me say that the good news, that the saving news is profoundly Jewish news, and furthermore, that Jesus lived and died as a man faithful to the Torah. And so seen from one perspective, it shouldn't surprise us to hear that some people were teaching that it was good for the Gentiles to come in obedience to Jesus as Savior and Messiah, and that they were saved by faith in Christ. But now, let's get on with a wider biblical program, get the men circumcised, and also help them to understand Jewish kosher food laws, the many other commands that covered everything from you know, the kind of clothing they wore, whether or not they had marks on their bodies, proper Sabbath restrictions. And after all, Jesus had lived that way and, and even said that he did not come to end the law. See, if Jesus didn't end the law, we need to make the Gentiles who have come to faith adhere to the law. Now, just so that we know what's at stake, what happened in Jerusalem at that time, as is recorded in Acts 15, well, let's just say it's impossible to overemphasize the importance of this moment. Acts 15 records one of the watershed moments. If this matter had gone the other way, well, the Gentile mission would then have ground to a halt, and the Jesus movement would have remained a subset of Judaism, simply a tiny movement never heard about by most people, and I believe it would eventually just have fizzled out. Why? Well, I like uh, to imagine an evangelistic meeting in which the evangelist says, you know, come to the front and repent of your sins and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. And by the way, all men form a line up over here and circumcisers are standing ready, just a few cuts with a very sharp knife. And you're going to be in the kingdom of God. I assure you that line would be a very short line indeed. And it's not just the circumcision when applied to, you know, adult males. That's extremely painful, can be debilitating, can even lead to infection. But there's more. See, the dietary laws that the Torah demanded would have to be learned. And to the most part, it would have meant that the new converts would no longer have been able to eat with their families. They would have been removed outside of their culture. And a cleavage would immediately develop and new converts would have to find a place on their own to eat. They would have to look for kosher shops. There would have to be priests inspecting food. The cost of their lifestyle would rise. Furthermore, Jewish clothing also would become an issue. You see, you couldn't have a garment with two kinds of fabric in it. And so you'd have to buy specialized clothing made especially for Christians. And you'd also have to be made aware of laws regarding, well, not touching what was unclean. And, and when you did, you'd have to make sure that you knew how to ritually bathe yourself and you'd be unclean until evening, touching no one. And, and that was just the beginning. More laws would have to be required. An observance to Jewish religious festivals, that would have to become a part of your new life. In short, what would have been necessary was to fully Judaize the converts tearing them from their culture and their families and everything that was familiar to them and then retraining them and creating an altogether foreign culture. 
You know, one needs no imagination at all to see that if this demand would have been truly met, very few Gentiles would have listened. Moses had been preached for a long time in in a great many Gentile cities, and very few Gentiles had attached themselves to Israel. I mean, who wanted to cut themselves off from their family and their culture? It was just a no-go for most of them. In short, these laws would have made it virtually impossible for any but very few Gentiles to ever come to Christ. This was, in effect, the breaks on the Great Commission. Is this really what Jesus had in mind, you have to ask, when he said he had not come to abolish the law and the prophets? Well, clearly, there were some in the early church that said, yes, and by the way, there are still some today. And you might know of these groups who argue that being a Christian means you have to adhere to dietary food laws. It becomes a part of faith. You know, I have a personal memory for years of someone from one of those groups trying to convert me. He just kept trying. It was really a no-go. And so some in the early church were saying that unless Gentiles were circumcised, they can't be saved. And of course, they were saying, in effect, that the majority of Gentiles in the church of Antioch weren't saved. And that all those people that Paul and Barnabas had won to faith in Christ all over Asia, well, they weren't truly saved either. What was required now was that the Judaizers should go back and visit all of those churches and begin a Judaizing process among them before the church was allowed to move on to another area. Boy, it's not hard to see it, is it? This would be the death of world evangelization. If the people who had wanted this had won the day, you and I who are now listening would never have heard the gospel of Jesus. Right there, in Acts 15, the gospel of Jesus was in danger of grinding to a halt, and that was the crisis, and it almost swamped the early church. What was the relationship of the church and the followers of Jesus to the law of Moses? Everything was at stake as the church met to discuss this matter. Back to the Bible Canada is committed to partnership in the work of the gospel. No single individual congregation or mission is enough to fulfill the Great Commission. Jesus gathered followers to train and commission. Paul ventured throughout the Mediterranean with the news of Jesus Christ, but he didn't travel alone. He cultivated partnerships to do the great work. This month, we offer a resource called Companions for the Gospel. This laminated reference guide maps out Paul's missionary journey in Acts and highlights the men and women who work together with Paul in mission. Companions for the Gospel is our free Bible resource gift to you this month. Simply call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca to request your copy or to make a gift to the national or global efforts of Back to the Bible Canada. I'm reading Acts 15, verses 1 to 6. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, 
Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders were gathered together to consider this matter. Now, if if you know Christian history at all, you'll know that in the first 500 years of the church, there were frequent councils that met in crisis moments. I mean, they reacted to people who argued, for instance, against the deity of Jesus. Now, some of you might especially think of the Council of Nicaea in 325 or the Council of Chalcedon in 451 and how important these councils were in averting huge crises in the church. Now, in each one of the church councils in the past, very important leaders of the church gathered together to establish the truth and to avert crisis. But this here at Acts 15 is the first council ever, and it did exactly that. Luke tells us that the apostles were there along with the elders of the church in Jerusalem, along with Paul and Barnabas. What might be surprising for some to read was that present at this council are what Luke, in in verse 5 here in this passage, uh, calls some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees. Are you shocked about that? I mean, Pharisees were there, but they were. Those would have been converted Pharisees who had come to believe that Jesus truly was the Messiah of Israel and of the whole world. They obviously had come to believe and had repented of their sins, and they were baptized. And furthermore, it must be that these men must have been elders in the church in Jerusalem. And they argue that the Gentiles who repented of their sins were baptized and believe in Jesus were still not saved until all their males were circumcised. Luke says there was no small debate. Those were his words. I think it was loud. I think it was boisterous. I think accusations were made. I mean, this thing was so big, it threatened to destroy the church and wreck the Great Commission. I can almost imagine it. The Judaizers would have said, listen, salvation is of the Jews. And Jesus said, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the Torah. Jesus did not do away with the law. And if so, the law is in effect. And besides, Genesis 17 says that the covenant of circumcision that God made with Abraham and his offspring, it says in the passage, is an eternal covenant. And so if the Gentiles are to be included in the life of Abraham, then let them be included in the biblical manner. (laughs) That seems like a strong argument. But then, well, another word was heard. Acts 15, 7 to 9 offers up the other side of the debate. The passage says, "And, And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Well, Peter's referring to his own experience. You know, he was once worshiping the Lord and fasting, and a sheet was lowered down from heaven, and it was full of all kinds of non-kosher animals. 
Then a voice was heard from heaven that said, take Peter, kill and eat. And that was, that was shocking for Peter. And then after that vision, men showed up at Peter's house and they came from a Roman centurion named Cornelius. And Peter followed the man and he walked into an unclean Gentile's home. That must have shaken him to the core. And, and there he preached the gospel of Jesus. And then they all confessed their sins and bowed before Christ as Savior and Lord. And then, to make it even more amazing, everyone witnessed as the Holy Spirit fell on that group of Gentile followers just like he had fallen on the Jews. It was, it was amazing. God was treating these unsaved Gentiles with the same grace as he was treating the unsaved Jews. And Peter was overwhelmed, and so was everyone else. And that's why what Peter said to the Council of Jerusalem was so important. He said, God made no distinction between us and these pork-eating, uncircumcised Gentiles. And when Peter was done speaking, he ends by saying something that has become the hallmark of the Christian church ever since. See, Acts 15, verse 11 records him as saying, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And that's to say, we don't believe as you Judaizers have said, that we were ever saved by being circumcised. And because of that, we also don't believe that the Gentiles will ever get saved by being circumcised. We believe that the only way anyone is ever saved is by the grace of Jesus. And what's grace? Well, grace is the action of Jesus. It's his kindness in saving sinners. Grace has nothing to do with what the sinner has done or can do. It has everything to do with what Jesus has done in kindness. He died for their sins. He was raised for their justification. They are accepted by God not because of circumcision, but because of Christ. That needs to be reset to every single generation. See, if today you're listening to my voice, and if you're saying, you know, I'm saved because, you know, I was baptized. Listen, you're wrong. And if you should say, you know, I'm going to be fine because I've been to church and I've received the sacrament of the Eucharist. Listen, you're wrong. We believe that you could only be saved by the grace of Jesus, Christ alone is the only way to salvation, not circumcision, not church membership, not your own efforts, not something the church does for you, not anything any human being does for you. Salvation is by the grace of Christ. And Peter's still not done. He must have pointed to Paul and Barnabas who were sitting there. And they rose then at his direction and told the story of their missionary journey all the way through Asia, what we now call Turkey, and how God did amazing things among the Gentiles. And then James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, got up and, and taught the people at the council from the book of Amos. I mean, you could almost see him standing up and saying, brothers, open your Bible to Amos 9, 11 to 12. And then he speaks from that passage and shows how God has promised to restore Israel and at the same time call for himself a people from among the Gentiles. And with that, the debate's over, it's settled. But for those of us who read of this council, well, there's still some questions. Well, what's the relationship of the Gentiles to the First Testament? Did the apostles say that the First Testament is over? Well, most certainly they did not. Indeed, what they did say was included in a note that they wrote. They wrote that the Gentiles would not be required to be circumcised, nor would they be required to keep Jewish distinctive commands. 
the Gentiles would not be required to keep Jewish ceremonial laws either, but they would be required to refrain from any sexual activity outside of heterosexual marriage. And they did write that the Gentiles must abandon all of their Gentile gods, all Gentile idols. They must cling to the God of Israel alone. Those of you who know this text know that they also demanded that the Gentiles refrain from blood and from meat that was strangled, that is, from meat that had not been properly bled out. So what does that mean? Well, my understanding of that part of the command had to do with putting Jews and Gentiles together into one church, a church in which it was concerned that both sides were to look for ways not to offend one another, and I think that's what they were teaching. But once this had been decided, a letter was drafted and sent to all the Gentile churches. And then Luke says, the churches were encouraged. Indeed, this letter opened the door now for uninterrupted missions and has led the gospel all over the world. See, that means that today, nothing hinders the gospel from penetrating every society on earth, regardless of its variety of cultural practices. The door is wide open for the preaching of Jesus. What then is the Christian relationship to the law? Well, much more needs to be said, but I'm going to leave that for my next lesson on, on missions. But for now, Christian, rejoice. The gospel of Jesus Christ is overwhelmingly simple. Believe in Christ and you will be saved. And that message must be heard in every culture. John, thanks for today. Just a quick question. You know, as we were talking about the complexity of what was going on and the moving to the gospel, is it possible that even today we can get caught up with the complexity and miss the main thing? Yeah. You know, I I love what I think it was Augustine that said it, that you said that, you know, in the Bible, it's simple enough for a child to understand it, but it's, it's deep enough for a scholar to feel that he is being drowned in it because of the depth that's there. So, you know, I I know that, uh, you know, we're not trying to, you know, make simple everything in the Bible, but the gospel message itself has to be so simple, so clearly articulated, always understood by God's people, lest, you know, they miss the main thing. So that's what was at issue uh, in the Council of Jerusalem. Thanks so much, John. Remember to join us again next week as we continue our series, The Missionary God, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. February is Back to the Bible Canada's International Focus Month. Over the last number of years, God has graciously presented opportunities for this ministry to network with global partners that share our values and intent. Currently, our partnerships extend to the United Kingdom, Asia, Africa, and the Caribbean. New Bible teaching tools, devotionals, and booklets are being translated now into 14 languages and growing. And we continue to work with international partners to train pastoral leaders to effectively teach the Bible. We're so grateful and privileged God has opened doors for international ministry partnerships. Your financial support makes it all possible. To find out how you can send pastors to the Bible teaching conferences or participate in our $25,000 international match campaign, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
www.thepeopleshow.ca.